many people are new to practice? Please raise your hand if you're new. I, I want to see. Great. Right. Okay. Great. How many people are old to practice? <laughs> like you've been doing it forever. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, okay. And how many people are in the middle somewhere? Okay, great. Great. <clears throat> so um, I was looking at the name of this day long, right, about investigating reality. I like that name very much and the components of it about awareness, inquiry, waking up. So I thought I would just make sure we're all clear about the role of investigation in Buddhism because um, at, at this time, mindfulness is a very popular uh, <laughs> subject in the commercial world, meaning it's everywhere. It's a big deal, mindfulness. It's, it's uh, you know, totally... Uh, uh, assimilated into the popular culture, which is, I think, mostly a very good thing. You know, and it has, I have a little, some pluses and minuses about it, but but mostly really good that that's happened. But a lot of other components of Buddhism are not so popular or so well-known or so understood now as mindfulness is. And so mindfulness ends up being what Buddhism is about or what awakening is about. And it has a very key role, but it's, it's a key role in a much bigger understanding of what it means to wake up or what it means to discover reality or what it means to discover who and what we are. And, and so um, there are many different teachings that the Buddha offered as part of what it meant to walk on a path to awakening. He didn't say, oh, if you just do mindfulness, that's it. That, w- that was not the Buddha's understanding or experience. But, it, but he also taught many other things. And so one of the teachings he teaches is the seven factors of enlightenment or seven factors of awakening, or this, these different components that are very uh, important in the maturation of awakening. And um, so, this, so the first factor of awakening is mindfulness, or sati is the actual word that's translated as mindfulness. Sati, S-A-T-I. And... Um, Sati can also could also easily be translated as awareness, not just mindfulness. Mindfulness, at least in my understanding, came, <clears throat> uh, you know, at least 150 years ago or so. And it's part of the translation from the east to the west, and it was part of a Christian actually translation, and it became mindfulness, and it's a good term, and that that's okay. Awareness may be more accurate about what the Buddha was pointing at and that he was teaching that he said was valuable. The first, the first um, foundation, excuse me, the first um, uh, awakening factor, awareness. And then the second awakening factor is investigation. Right? I think that's really important because for someone like myself who started 
very devoted to retreat practice, silent meditation practice, mindfulness practice, awareness practice. Um, I didn't know, oh, investigation was so important. I didn't realize that early on. It took quite a while to get, oh, this is, the Buddha said, oh yeah, don't just be aware, investigate reality. Discover who and what you are. And, and that, and the components that are needed to discover this reality is sitting right in your seat. That's what the, my understanding of what the Buddha pointed at. He pointed at this living human experience and said, start to pay attention to this and start to investigate this experience fully. And so here I have a quote. The second factor of uh, awakening is dharma vachaya, dharma uh, keen investigation of the dharma. It is the sharp analytical knowledge of understanding that true nature of all consistent, consistent, I'm not saying it properly, constituent, thank you, all constituent things, animate or inanimate, human or divine. It is the sharp analytic knowledge of understanding the true nature of all constituent things, animate or inanimate, human or divine. It is seeing things as they are. And it's a certain kind of investigation. And this kind of reflection or investigation This systematic reflection comes naturally through right mindfulness and it urges one to discriminate, to reason, and to investigate. And I really appreciate this um, understanding of uh, some of the components of what does it mean to practice in order to wake up or to realize who and what we are or to be free which I believe we all come here with some desire to wake up or be free or whatever it might be for you, to to realize love or whatever component it is, whatever way you yourself uh, understand why you're here. Like, and my question and part of the investigation that's really uh, a really skillful and good part of the investigative uh, component of practice is um, what do you want from practice is a great question to ask and and a question to ask cyclically meaning not just once not not every moment you're sitting here that's not so skillful but regularly in your time of practice over the days, months, years of practice to really look at, okay, what am I wanting now? What's my heart yearning for? would be a, a more poetic way to ask the same question. What's my heart yearning for or wishing for? <clears throat> and so this component of um, investigation, very important component of practice and very skillful both in intensive practice like silent retreat practice like the people doing up the hill. 
How, how many people have uh, never done a multi-day silent retreat? Let me just see. Have never done one. Okay, well, keep your hands up. I'm, it helps me understand who I'm talking to, so, and, and that hopefully helps me speak a little more uh, helpfully to you. So, um, so there's different um, components of practice. One is silent retreat practice, which is very powerful. And I always encourage people to, at some point, do a silent retreat because it'll change your life. And, and I think that's a good thing. And I think it'll change your life in a good way. And I could be wrong. It definitely <laughs> happens that I'm wrong now and again. But, but um, it's a very powerful way to investigate what it is to be a human being, to just go sit and walk and pay attention to this experience for three, five, seven, ten, fourteen, twenty-eight days in a row, right, in silence or, you know, with teachers and some guidance. Um, but also, that's not the end of the story either, right? Then the question is, oh, how do we practice 24-7? And for the people who haven't done retreat, I assume that's part of your question. What does it mean to practice in my life? How does this practice, how does the Dharma how does what the Buddha taught help me function and live a, a, a true life, a life of, that's heartful, that's kind, that's intelligent, that's wise in some way, shape, or form? And, and that also brings, I could say it two ways, I'll say it both ways, brings happiness or brings freedom from suffering. And if you're free from suffering, you're basically happy. So e- either way, it's, it's a good, good way to go. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do today is um, practice with you all. And the practice starts before we do any formal practice, the practice is already here, right? Because you're already aware of whatever you're aware of. Does that make sense? Anybody disagree with that? Right? You're already aware of whatever you're aware of. And this is just my preference. You don't have to uh, follow me too much because nobody does. Um, but the people sitting on the ground in the back, I would always encourage you to come up here and sit because it's much easier for you to see me and for me to see you. And I like to relate to people. I know it's not a real Buddhist thing to do that, to say that. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be like these statues, but I'm not so into being a statue. Um, uh, although I love the statues, believe, believe me, I have way too many of them in my house. Yeah, please, you could come up close if you need to. You can sit on the stage with me, whatever we need to do. You know, because it's just more um, contactful, first of all. And it makes it all a little more alive here as we make contact with each other. We start to be real with each other. 
And remember, this is about investigating real reality, the realness of what's here as a human being. So, um, so I'd like us to practice together, meaning being aware of whatever's happening even now, both what I'm saying and your thoughts about what I'm saying, you're already aware of that. And then being aware of any reactions you have to what I'm saying or what I'm doing or, or what you're feeling, your body or your mind or your heart. And you don't have to get rid of anything. What we want to do is start to be aware of what's alive here, what I'm calling reality, on every level of reality. On the most uh, normal, ordinary, we want to be aware of that. And then on the other levels of reality that may show themselves as part of Dharma practice, um, which, you know, in the Dharma they talk about relative and ultimate reality. And they're both true. Relative and ultimate reality, both true. And, and what I love they say in Zen, they say they're equally true, which is really great because most of us, I, I don't want to assume, I'll just say for myself, when I came to the Dharma, I was like, oh, let's get rid of this relative reality crap. Let's, let's all just transcend reality and be free and live, you know, up in the cloud or somewhere else besides this reality. Because this reality is where dukkha is. And if you don't know the word dukkha, it's the Pali word for suffering. And this is the reality that the Buddha said, oh, right here is where we wake up. Right here. Not in some exalted place like Spirit Rock, but right here in, in normal life is where we can wake up in human life. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do is we'll do some sitting, I'll do some blabbing, some talking about uh, inquiry, about um, mind, about understanding today, a few of the topics that I'm interested in talking about. And you'll also do some uh, inquiry together. And, and that's part of practice. And so one of the key parts that's very helpful for everything we're going to do today is to be here, right? Like it's, that, that all makes sense, right? Key thing is to be here. And a key part of being here is being in your body or being centered here in the somatic, kinesthetic, uh, energetic phenomenology phenomena we call body right? and so I'll, we'll, we'll sit for a little while I'm, I'll give a little bit of body instructions and then I'm also but I'm also even before we start feel your body even while I'm talking meaning feel meaning be aware of it and sense it and be sensitive to the aliveness that's sitting right here that that's right there you know whether it's the touch or the temperature or the sense of weight or the sense of aliveness or the sense of quiet that might be in the body whatever it might be and notice how mostly you can hear me fine 
because the body's working through the ears. And, and it starts to, to reorient your consciousness here, in the here and now of where your consciousness is relatively located, which is right where you're sitting. Please, if you're on the ground, I'm asking people to come and come up front. You don't have to if you really don't want to get too close. But we'll we'll make room. To, yeah. Great. Oh, we got a few more. Yeah, and even if maybe you'll need to move over a little to make room for one more, couple more people. Great. Yeah. Great. Hi. Come on in. Great. Thank you. Okay. So let's... Um, any, any questions so far? Everything relatively... Made made some sense to you, whatever I said. Okay. Okay. So um, so let's sit, and I'll give some instructions about sitting. Uh, the one of the instructions I like to offer is to sit upright, whether you're in a chair or on a bench or on a cushion. Sit upright. And upright, and you can look at me, upright means there's an uprightness in the spine. It doesn't mean I'm trying to be stiff. I want to be relaxed, but I want to be upright. And on the cushion, it generally means sitting on the front third of the cushion. So there's a slight tilt in the pelvis. And then there's a natural uprightness in the spine. And that's uh, in the chair, you can play with it. Sometimes, for myself, I've done it different ways. Sometimes I'll scoot my rear end all the way to the back of the chair, but I won't put my back on the chair so that the front, so I'm upright and the front is open. Or I'll sit on the front uh, few inches of the chair and with my hands on my knees, and that also is a way to sit upright. And of course, you can play with it and do some version that works for you. And then the same principle on the cushion or on the bench. Uh, it's helpful either wherever you are to have your, on the chair, have both feet on the ground. And if you're on a cushion or bench, have both legs on the ground, if at all possible. And so it means push, putting your legs in front of you a little bit. Uh, instead of right under you and playing with it, experimenting, finding the way the legs can be relatively stable and then the uprightness and then the relaxation. So it's a paradoxical combination of, um, of uprightness and stability and relaxation.
and then letting your self just check. You can scan your body very gently and see as you scan down from your head to your face and your shoulders and your arms and hands and then your torso your hips and legs feet checking to see if there's any extra holding or tightness or tension that you can relax simply And as you scan your body, starting to let the awareness permeate your body. Letting the awareness saturate the physical experience. So that you end up with a being aware of the sense of bodiness sitting here. And as you sense or become aware of the body and its aliveness, its kinesthetic reality doesn't mean that everything else will go away although that can happen but you'll be feeling, sensing aware of the body very directly and you might still have thoughts or feelings or hear sounds or smells or whatever else happens Letting everything else be in the background. Letting the sense of your body or the bodiness sitting here be in the foreground. And one of the ways practice that we can become more skillful in practice 
is to be a little bit dedicated to feeling, sensing, being aware of the body in a little more continuous way than we're used to. As you stay close to the body or mindful of the body, at some point you'll notice that the body is breathing all on its own. And it can be very skillful to spend a little time being mindful of the breathing, meaning becoming a little more sensitive or intimate with the experience of the body and the sensations, the movement that happens with one breath. And then the next breath. So that we start to become aware or mindful of the continuous experience of an in-breath and then an out-breath and then the next in-breath. And the next out breath. Staying very sensitive to the simplicity of a body breathing, 
And as we stay mindful of the body and the breath, you can start to notice that we can be aware of the sensations, the movement, the feeling either at the nostril or the chest or the belly or the whole body as it breathes. And the awareness that's aware of any of this, all of this, If you feel relatively relaxed or centered or calm, you'll also be aware of other things. If you, if it's harder for you to be present, or if you feel the need to center or stabilize, then it's really skillful to stay with the body and the breath. If you're experienced in meditation or you feel very centered or relaxed here and aware, you can let go of the body and breath and simply be aware of whatever is predominant in your experience. Maybe you're being aware of thought or ideas or memories or plans without having to identify with any of it. Or you could be aware of some feeling or mood or emotion. Or you could be aware of the sounds, or the smells, or the tastes, or the touch that may be here. And so you start to let the awareness be very open. to any of the phenomena that happen for human beings, all on its own. The liveness of the body, the breathing of the body, the thoughts, the feelings, the moods, the hearing, as we begin to relax or rest in the space of awareness, the space in which each thing is being known.
And if you find yourself confused or lost or uh, absorbed in some thought or fantasy, be aware of the fact that you're confused or you're lost or you're absorbed in some fantasy rather than just believing it. Starting to relax or harmonize with the fact that whatever is happening in body, heart, or mind is being known. Whatever is predominant in body, heart, and mind is being known now. And you can be aware of it whether you like it or not whether it's what you want or what you don't want. You can be aware of the experience, the thought, the feeling, the body experience, the sound, and any reaction you have to the experience of wanting it or not wanting it, liking it or not liking it. As you get more comfortable in the space of awareness.
let yourself be aware of whatever's happening right now in body, heart, or mind. Whatever's in the foreground of your experience. It's very helpful to be aware of the experience and one's relationship with the experience, the liking or not liking or being neutral about it. So I'd like to say a little bit about um, the practice of inquiry. Um, Like the, well, I'll say it this way, the inquiry asks for us to be mindful. 
while we're inquiring. It asks for us to be aware while we're investigating whatever we're investigating. When we're, whether we're investigating something about our body or something about our understanding or something about our work life or our relationships or the Dharma or the nature of reality or, or the fact that our car is not starting or what, whatever it might be that we have to, that we're investigating, it asks us for, to be there. And to be there allows for the fullness of what's here to, to be involved in the inquiry and the investigation. <clears throat> Stephen Batchelor, who I, um, uh, I like a lot most of the time, um, uh, who writes a lot about secular Buddhism these days, um, he says, inquiry is an intense, focused, questioning into the totality of what is unfolding at any given moment. Inquiry is an intense, focused questioning into the totality of what is unfolding at any given moment. It is the engine that drives awareness into the heart of what is unknown. And that's, that sounds like a good thing to me. Really, it is, the, it is the engine that drives awareness into the heart of what is unknown. And I assume we all come to the Dharma because we want to learn something. We want to understand things. We want to wake up to something, either about ourselves or about the world or about reality or about the Dharma itself. <clears throat> and... Um, I find inquiry to be really valuable as an ongoing practice, really, in, in my experience, interwoven with mindfulness, meaning the two are totally interwoven. One doesn't happen for me without the other. They both happen together uh, in, in my own practice at this point. <clears throat> And, and I mean, again, on many different levels, like in, on the ordinary, everyday level of dealing with my life and what's happening, and I wake up and, you know, something's going on. I have to, there's, you know, 42 new emails that I have to respond to, and I'm pissed about that. And, and so I get, I'm aware of that, and I'm aware of myself. And then I'm also curious about why I'm reacting to it. Oh, it's too much. I don't want to do it. And I'm tired of answering all these emails about stuff that, you know, most of it's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's not actually ridiculous. <laughs> You're hearing my attitude, <laughs> which, you know, and so I'm aware of that. I'm aware of the attitude. And instead of just believing the attitude, I start to feel or become more aware or mindful of the energy that is part of the attitude. It's not just the mental thing. It's not just, oh, it's a screen and the words are coming, oh yeah, this is crappy. And No, there's, there's a certain aliveness even with the conceptualness of what's happening and the and so I want to start to land in that fully because I, then I'm in touch with the energy of the irritation, of the frustration, of the anger, which is not 
often may not be comfortable to even feel that, right? Oh, I don't want to be, because then I think, oh, I'm an angry person, and I'm supposed to be a Buddhist teacher, I shouldn't be an angry person, and, and that's just judging mind and ideas, and I start to land more in the energetics of the aliveness that's having the experience. And, the, and so there, the, the dualness of the experience starts to become less dual and more unified. And in the unification of the experience, more understanding comes about, oh, why, you know, one, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Oh, that's partly why I'm... And also, I've been doing too much work in the last three days. Maybe I shouldn't get up and look at the email first thing in the morning. Maybe I should wait an hour until after I sit, have some breakfast, or take a walk outside. Or And so some understanding comes with the investigation. But they happen, at least for me these days, they happen quite together because I've done both these practices for many, many years. <clears throat> and also, and I'm just, so that's just in normal everyday life kind, but also in the meditative practice, there is a component of investigation of being curious, and that's a really good word to use as part of what we're doing here. We're being curious about reality. We're being curious about the experience that's sitting in our seat. We're being curious about the heart and mind that has this experience of being me, meaning being you, but for me, being me, right? And and this um, curiosity is also in the in the even in the quiet as sitting gets quieter or more still or more calm, or has more samadhi, more what they call concentration, um, even then there's a curiosity that, that is alive in the mindfulness of what's here now. <clears throat> and what, what, what's tricky about this is it's not an active uh, uh, conceptual uh, conceptualization of the curiosity it's a felt sense curiosity that's woven into the mindfulness meaning even in sitting here and when i get very quiet there's it's based in this openness and curiosity about whatever may come forward <clears throat> And, and that curiosity in that way, the investigation in that way can be very silent. It's not based in words. It's a livingness of consciousness being open and interested in itself, in whatever appears in consciousness. And, and, and even talking about it, I find that totally fascinating. Because everybody is everybody conscious here. Anybody not conscious? Does everybody know that there's consciousness that's being conscious? Is that clear? And and where is that consciousness? 
<laughs> Can anybody find it? <laughs> it's a little bit magical how we're constructed, at least in my experience, my view. And to start to get a little more interested in the aliveness that's here both and in investigating the liveness here both in the everyday normal waking up and too many emails or, or whatever or maybe the best email in the world came and actually being investigative of that experience of oh what happens here when I have the best email ever right which hasn't happened yet and uh, <laughs> um and um, or or even in in the more deeper silence that meditation can offer all of us, like what's happening now, becomes the woven into the direct experience. And what is this experience is woven into it, not in an intellectual way, but in a felt sense presence of what's here as we're aware and mindful. And one of my favorite um, teachings on mindfulness is from Analyo Bhikkhu, the Venerable Analyo, who um, teaches here every year or two or something like that, who who I love. He's, He's a great guy. He's He's written my favorite book on mindfulness, if you want to check it out. Uh, but it doesn't have a lot of great stories, I want to warn you. It's, it's my favorite book. It's called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. And Satipatthana is the teaching that mindfulness comes out of, the Satipatthana Sutta. And, and so Sati, right, mindfulness or awareness, and he said this in, in the book. He says, sati is not really defined as memory, but that which facilitates and enables memory. What this definition of sati points to is that if sati is present, memory will be able to function well. Understanding sati in this way facilitates relating to the context of satipatthana, which is not concerned with recalling past events, but functions as awareness of the present moment. Functions as awareness of the present moment. In the context of satipatthana meditation, or commonly known mindfulness, it is due to the presence of sati that one is able to remember what is otherwise only too easily forgotten. forgotten. The present moment. Sati as present moment awareness is similarly reflected in other Buddhist teachings according to which the characteristic of sati is presence. And I'm, I'm going to push this a little bit. The characteristic of sati, of mindfulness, is presence. It's not just being present. It's presence as a state of being. It's the presence that I believe we all have a little taste of and that we know when when we're here fully, there's a kind of way things happen and we're not even doing it, but it's all happening and we know it and it's, it's true and it's good. And we know that. It's like when we're all lined up, for many people, this happens often in nature, 
like taking a hike or being out at the ocean, and we're not thinking about it. We're just there in this full way. And for many people, it happens in, it can happen in all different kinds of situations where there's a kind of the presence of being, the presence of consciousness being in harmony with itself. For some people, that happens at work. For some people, many people, it happens in the arts, right? If you're painting, it's just happening on its own in some way. Or if you're, if you're a writer and you're really writing, it's just coming through you. Or if you're, if you're a dancer, when you dance, you're not thinking about the dance. The dance is just happening through you. And, uh, and also, it, I believe it happens in sports. How many people saw the Warriors game last night? Boy, I'm I'm in the wrong crowd here. <laughs> Anyhow, I've been into the Warriors and the Warriors streak, and uh, and they have a beautiful presence as a team, and that's rare to see because often people can be very great in sports, but they don't know how to play as a team, and there's a presence like it's just all happening on its own with the Warriors right now. Sorry, I you know, I just got to be myself, so you'll have to put up with my sportsness. Because presence happens a lot in sports. You know, think about yourself, if, you, if you're a runner, or if you swim, or if you play tennis, or whatever it might be. And when, and when the game takes over, when the sport takes over, it's not like we're doing it, we're being done in the doing of it. <clears throat> so he's saying, he's saying, um, right? Sati as present moment awareness, um, uh, according to different texts in Buddhism, according to which the characteristic of Sati is presence, whether as a faculty, as an awakening factor, as a factor of the noble eightfold path, eightfold path or at the moment of realization that there's a presence. Mindfulness being present can be understood to imply presence of heart and mind in the sense that endowed with sati, one is wide awake in regard to the present moment. And so this is part of our investigation is really a little bit part of what we're doing here is what keeps us all from being present wherever we are in whatever situation with whatever is good or bad that's happening what keeps us from being here in body, heart and mind in this full way that allows for the presence of reality to respond to reality should I say that again? Yeah. What, what keeps us from being present in a way that allows for the presence of reality, because we are reality, and that presence allows us to respond to reality, which is anything that is happening is part of reality. There's nothing that I've found so far that is not part of reality. And you could 
you could quiz me on this and try to prove me wrong. I'm fine with that. I'm always happy to find out I'm wrong about something because, you know, like many human beings, I think I know everything, and but it's not true. Um, so, so we want to start to investigate and inquire into what does it mean to be here right now and what does it mean to be here not with our eyes shut looking like a statue, right? What does it mean to really be here even as we're seeing and thinking and feeling and talking and listening? Can we, can we start to upgrade that capacity of practice for each of us so that our practice ultimately can be happening 24-7, which is my, excuse me, my goal always is what does it mean to practice 24-7? So let's do a little um, uh, inquiry and we'll do it. It's a very simple, oh, one other thing, I didn't say it, oh, here, yeah, inquiry. Um, um, or practice is about phenomenological reality. I just like that word very much. I don't know if I could actually define it, but but I like it. Um, uh, practice is about coming into alignment with phenomenological reality, with the living reality of what's here, body, heart, and mind. It's not about getting rid of what's here. It's about understanding what's here in a real way, in what I often think of for myself as a mature way, as a way that was not what I was taught in elementary school exactly. They taught other things, but they didn't teach about living in the immediacy of the reality that's sitting right in your seat, right here. The reality that's thinking and feeling and looking and listening and interested or, or bored. Either way, you don't have to change anything, but be aware of everything. That's where it gets interesting. And that awareness being a little more unified with the experience. doesn't have to like the experience. You don't have to like anything. That's not the deal here. I'm, I'm not selling mindfulness will make everything perfect. But but what I'm interested in is how can we wake up to this experience that's already sitting here? So let's do a little practice. And we'll do practice in dyads to begin with. And this is, um, let's see, I just got to find my timeline. How much time? Yeah, okay, we're good. Um, uh, I'm going to time you. And here, you, so you'll get in dyads, and when you get in dyads, I'm going to ask you to do a certain practice together. And the one thing I want to encourage, you don't have to keep your eyes open, closed, open the whole time, but most of the time, this is interactive practice we're going to do together as, as human beings together. And so it'll bring up whatever issues you have or whatever things you have, your shyness or your liking to do it or not. That's all fine. You don't have to get rid of anything. 
you're, you're going to be aware of what happens as we do the interactive practice. And you could practice with somebody you know or somebody you don't know. That's totally fine. Um, and here's the practice. You'll sit face to face. Uh, best to do it on the same level. If you both decide to sit on the floor, fine. If you both decide to sit in a chair, fine. But it's harder to do at different levels. Um, and you'll sit facing one another, and one person will talk about, um, will do a, a, what I call a continuum of awareness. And in the continuum of awareness, one person is going to say, start each sentence with, now I am aware of, right? Now I am aware of. Now I'm aware of seeing you. And now I'm aware of my hand moving. And now I'm aware of the space in the room. And now I'm aware of wondering if I should just stay with one person doing this or I should switch to somebody else and do it. And now I'm going to switch and do it to you. And so now I'm aware of talking to you. And now I'm aware of your eyes. And now I'm aware of wondering how long I should go on doing the examples in general. Um, Right? And I'm just describing what's happening in the moment, what I'm aware of. And it could be, or it could have been, oh, now I'm aware of feeling shy. I'm doing this and in front of all these people who think I'm crazy. Oh, now I'm projecting some judging mind on all you people, and I'm projecting that you think I'm crazy, right? Or, or whatever it is. You know, or it could be whatever. It could be I could get very quiet while I'm doing this. Oh, now I'm aware of feeling really here. And now I'm aware of my body sitting. Now I'm aware of your moving. And now I'm aware of changing my view again. And now I'm aware of the familiarity of seeing you. And now I'm aware of feeling even more interested in the quietness that's here, even though I'm talking, and etc. Okay? You get any questions? Right. You, you could say, now I'm aware of being interested in stopping. <laughs> yeah, you could. Or you could say, oh, now I'm aware of I wish to hell he would ring the bell. Whatever is true. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to keep talking super fast, but you keep it going. In other words, you can relax and do it. Or you cannot relax and do it. That's okay, too. Okay, any other question? Okay. I'll ring a bell and you'll switch. Okay? Don't worry, it'll be only about a half an hour each. (laughs) It won't be too long, don't worry. So, please, find a partner and move. You can spread out in the room, it's fine. Find a partner, raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Raise your hand if you don't have a partner. There's somebody over there that doesn't have a partner. Yeah. Raise your hand. Let's just see. Anybody else doesn't have a partner? Anybody else not have a partner? Wait, wait. I'm going to... 
Okay, so here. Wait. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do is you'll join a twosome and you'll do a threesome and you'll do your own timing. Okay? So there. There you go. Join join those people. And this will be... Okay, what, so wait now. Be quiet. Be, whoa, whoa, whoa. Be quiet and sit down. Take your seats. And I'm going to give a few more instruction. Everybody ready? Are you two going to stand up and do it? You could. No, no. If you want, you could. Okay. Anybody not have a partner? I just want to make sure. Okay, we're good. So here's what will happen. Um, the person with the shorter hair will start the talking <laughs> the first time. Okay? And I'll ring the bell. It'll be a, be a few minutes. But, and uh, let me go here. Okay, and... Um, yeah, it'll be about seven minutes each. And for this group, you'll keep one of you will keep time for the person talking, and you'll do five minutes each, something like that, four and a half minutes each, something like that, okay? Okay? Okay, please, what's the question? Could you repeat that last instruction? That was just for this group of three people. You, you each have until I ring the bell, okay? Go ahead, begin. Shorter hair starts. Taking a moment to pause and maybe thank your partner. And then uh, let me remind you to don't forget to stay a little bit close to your body, to stay here while you're being aware of whatever else is here, also. Okay? So, and then the second person go for the awareness. So, please thank your partner and then reform as a group.
And so um, we'll, I'd like to hear what your experience was like or what you learned or didn't learn or what was interesting. But I also just want to encourage us all to keep practicing even now when we're doing the questions and comments and things like that. So what what happened or what didn't happen? Was that interesting or did you learn anything or discover anything? Here. Yeah, somebody else already got a mic, so either either way. <laughs> Can I have dueling mics. Okay, hi. And please say your name when you start. My name is Cheryl. Um, I really like that exercise. And for me, I really felt the difference between how it was much easier to be in my body when I was listening mm-hmm. than when I was talking. Right. Um, and it was I used the listening part as a really nice practice to keep just being open in my body and to fill my body. Uh-huh with whatever was arising in the other person and not trying to affirm or make uh-huh. facial expressions or uh-huh. great so. that all sounds really good um and I, and see what it's like to keep feeling your body now while we talk or just feel your presence here being aware cuz i i would assume you're aware of whatever you're feeling right when you're speaking like you were when you were doing the exercise that happening a little easier Uh a little easier great because again part of this is all about the question is oh what what does it mean to practice all the time because that is underlying most of the questions that come from people about their lives you know it's hard to practice here I can't practice here or this happens or that happens and we don't practice practicing in daily life, right? And so I find this very skillful to practice in this way right now. And then it starts to seep into daily life without me doing it so much. Okay, great. What else in the back? I'm curious about... And uh, your name? Toshi. Toshi. Hi, Toshi. Hi. I'm curious about uh, how easy it is for me to detect and verbalize uh, how I f- uh, what I sense, but it seems like this um, black box to detect and verbalize how I feel. Uh huh. So, so are you aware of not being aware of a feeling? Am I aware of not? Of not having a feeling. Not having a feeling. <coughs> Seems as though that I don't have a feeling. So be aware of that, if that's what's here. Uh-huh. And, and then see what happens. And you can also do some investigation for yourself. And, well, do I have any feelings or not? <laughs> right? I would think that I do and I just can't. I can't, I don't feel, I mean, I don't sense, I don't sense it or whatever. Yeah, right. So, so let's bring the curiosity instead of the, any judgment about that. Huh. Okay? Okay. And let's just be curious. Oh, interesting. I'm not aware of any feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, but I probably have some feelings, uh-huh. but I don't know. Uh-huh. 
And the not knowing is a very uh, um, respected component of all spiritual practice. Not knowing. Yeah. Thank you. Sure, thank you. In front of you, right there. Yeah. Hi, my name is Jim. When I was listening, uh, it seemed that there is an infinite number of things to be aware of, Mm -hmm. that awareness can be infinite. Yes. But when I started uh, talking, it seemed that my awareness was limited and that I had uh, uh, some kind of limitations Uh at work inside me. Why do you say that? What made it limited? Uh, I was... I felt that uh, I, I couldn't articulate uh-huh. uh, you were aware completely. Of that? My, yeah. That you couldn't articulate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the, it, it brought up a question for me. Like, why? Why did it, one moment, seem that awareness was infinite, uh-huh. but yet my pointing out my awareness seemed somewhat limited. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but, but I, I also have some questions about your first experience. Did, was the awareness infinite? Uh, what, meaning, what were you aware of? Was still the sa- it's still the same question, even while you're listening to me now. Wh- what are you aware of? And it's maybe limited what you could be aware of, but what are you aware of becomes a more precise part of practice. That's very interesting. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Because it's true. Awareness is totally open. But we're not aware of everything all at once, or it would be a white noise or white screen. So we have to sort of filter our awareness and choose what we're aware of. Well, that's a different question for you to pay attention to. What if you don't choose? Well, that seems to be the place where I'm listening and feeling that, wow, this person that's speaking could uh, go on for an infinite Amount of time telling what they're aware of. So you're having an you're aware of your idea. Yes. Good. (laughs) Meaning that's a very simple particular. Most of us are aware of what we're thinking, but we don't we don't often know we're aware of what we're thinking. We just think it, and that becomes our reality. Okay? Okay. Great. I appreciate that. I'll be saying more about that here, right in front of you, and then, please. My name is Paula, and I want to thank you very much for that exercise. I I appreciated it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh Um, I noticed that um, just your style and teaching, you were already doing that. Uh So when you gave us the dyad exercise, it was quite easy for me to to just kind of dive in. 
and um, it was such a beautiful exercise. Rachel was my, my partner, and we just created something very, very special. Um, when she was sharing her awarenesses, I felt so acknowledged. Uh-huh. And when um, I went into my own stream of consciousness, I felt like what was really helpful for me and what came up first was what I was feeling in my body. Uh-huh. And to talk about that and then to follow that feeling and um, following it to how it went into the floor and it went into everybody in this room and then, you know, it, it, it went out of these rooms and into space and um, just the feeling of... It almost felt like time and 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 space collapsing uh, into uh-huh. the now. Yeah. And I recognized that I was Rachel. I was looking straight into her eyes, and I could see her soul, and she uh, was me. Uh-huh. And there was nothing that... Um, oh, this is very hard to explain. You're there was this fine. huge very clear. sense of unity uh-huh. and... Um, and that there's this limited li- limitedlessness um, uh-huh. that um, stems from just being still and not letting um, anything interfere with that that awareness. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. you sound very clear about your experience. You yes. were aware of your experience and what happened in your experience. And that that sounds really good. And experience can go anywhere, from the most ordinary to the extraordinary. And they're both, the ordinary and the extraordinary are both extraordinary. Thank you. Okay, great. It was over here. And wait, wait, I want to say a little more about what you said. Because uh, my sense is, this is me, my, what I imagine, is there was a kind of presence that was there in where all that was happening. And that was part of your experience. Does that feel accurate? Yes. Okay. Great. Thank you. Coming back to the idea of being aware of the awareness itself, uh-huh. I find it much easier when my awareness is directed toward my body uh-huh. than when my awareness is directed towards my mind and especially like ideas and things uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. And that was clear during the exercise, for instance. Uh, so, so you're you're more aware of your awareness when you're aware of your body than you're aware of your mind. And right now while we're talking, are you aware of the awareness that's here that's knowing what you're saying and what I'm saying? And It's easier when I listen than when I talk. Easier when you listen, when you talk, okay. Yeah. So that that's really good. I appreciate what you're saying. I think that's a very common feeling, you know, that many of us have. And it's one reason why awareness of the body becomes a really... Uh, skillful component of interactive practice. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. In the back. I'm Jason. Oh, that's loud. I'm Jason. We want to hear you. (laughs) Um, I I noticed that there was a lot of... um, 
background noise. And when the background noise was people talking, <laughs> there was almost an instantaneous draw to not hear that as a sound, but listen as meaning. And then there was the fear of becoming completely derailed by listening to what other people were saying. Uh-huh. And that was so strong that I was amazed that um, that I couldn't just treat it like a sound. But it was instantly a thought right. that was in my head. And right. then I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be completely derailed <laughs> right. Right. by what is going on. And then I was realizing that that was kind of an interesting thing to be obsessed about, the, the fear of being derailed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great, great. That's, so that's part of the investigative process, what you're talking about. Because when we start to be a little more sensitive to experience and aware of it and curious about it, we start to see the um, what, what we might experience as habitual reactions to things that we might normally react to as, oh, this is just the way it is. I hate that stuff that derails me. And, and then we can see, oh, what is derailment? You know, I'm even having, I'm having thoughts and an idea and a belief happen, and I can be aware of that rather than just believing it. And that, there's a lot of freedom that comes when we start to relax more into the awareness itself rather than what we're aware of. Yeah? Okay, great. Thank you. And we'll talk more about that here. We gotta wait for the mic. It's coming to you out of magical, who knows where. <laughs> At first, I thought you were saying you've gotta wait. Wait your turn. <laughs> that immediately. Good, good to watch your mind and right. what, how your mind interprets right. what I'm saying. That's because we all do that all the time. So good, Thank please, you. and say your name, Lynn. Yeah, Lynn. I wasn't sure if it was after this one experience. I had, I had one moment where I was just aware of awareness. I just like, oh, I'm just aware of awareness, and it, it got stronger. And, but right before that, a person came in my mind that actually, this is my partner, who he had mentioned, and I was having a hurt. And I noticed myself saying, oh, I'm noticing this feeling in my body. And then I already know this works intellectually, but it was like, oh, and I just kept feeling this feeling of hurt. And then it started changing and I said, oh, I'm noticing this is just spreading out and just becoming an energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm noticing it more. And then I think it was shortly after that, I think, I just started becoming aware of awareness itself. Mm-hmm. You know? But the hardest part of it is the preferences that I have. Like, Really? You have preferences? <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I'm like all preferences, you know? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> all preferences. Uh, but just all enjo- preferences. yeah, and enjoying today being you really pointing that out again and again and again that here they are. Sure. Here they are. Here well, they well, are. Well, be aware of the tone of your voice when you say that. Here mm-hmm. they are. Here they are. Because there may be a little judgmental feeling about mm-hmm. it rather mm-hmm. than, oh, sure, of course, here they are. Yeah. Right, because reality is coming in all its flavors right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, great. And that's why we want to start to be aware and curious about our experience. And I'll talk about this more in the afternoon. But the more we, um, I think I'm talking about it more in the afternoon, yeah. Um, 
the more we understand, the more understanding is correlated with freedom in Buddhism. Okay, Thank great. You. Here, right in front of you. My name is Wendy, and um, one of the things I was most aware of was um, when I had my eyes closed, I could I stayed in my body, and I. Um, as well as when I was listening, when I had my eyes closed, I could listen better. So I, uh-huh. I realized that seeing really distracts me uh-huh. <laughs> and takes uh-huh. me out of my body, uh-huh. and and uh-huh. it also uh-huh. makes it harder for me to listen. Uh-huh. Can it's a, can so yeah. The visuals are a distraction. And well, well, again, let's be careful about any judgment, even if it does. Uh, change your experience given I know you a little bit and you're a visual person like that's one of your sensitive areas that you use all the time right and it's almost like it's disconnected because I I am a visual person and when I'm like taking photographs I'm I'm not hearing I'm I'm all you know it's like I I kind of compartmentalize my senses watch out for the judgment even compartmentalize you give yourself (laughs) fully to the experience of seeing in a way that I don't do the same way because I'm not a photographer and I don't and and so you know something about this the I'm going to say this not a Buddhist way to say it but about the magic of this area Mm-hmm. And what and and of sight, and in, so so here's in a Buddhist way what I think happens is you get your samadhi is very strong when you're doing photography, or the eyes are a very powerful component of your samadhi. Okay, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, because because we all have different. Uh, muscles that we have naturally we might not be aware of because there's so much who we are right and so and so one of the ways that it might be interesting for you to practice is to practice feeling your body while you're seeing like even right now and with your eyes open Mm -hmm. and letting the sight be really sharp or pronounced or interesting or anything but but seeing what it's like to do a little bit of this with your body as you're seeing me right mm-hmm. now. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's almost like if I notice you, then I'm I like lose my center. Right. And but if I kind of blur you out in a way, yeah. then I'm and I'm much right. more. So it's yeah, it's really kind of having it be an integrated experience that's hard. Ding. That's yeah. what we're looking for. We're looking for the integration of practice is one way to say it, very fully in body, heart, and mind, and in all the various sense doors in Buddhism, right, of sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, uh, thought, feeling, right? Those are all the sense organs, right, including the mind, instead of just being enchanted by our sight, or our or the sounds, or or even enchanted by our mind. Okay, thanks. Great, and that's where the space of awareness provides something that is not just um, lost in the experience. Okay, 
Okay. I understand that. Thank you. Yeah. Here, Patty. She's. Um, I was thinking about what you were saying. Or, ne- oh, I'm Lonnie. Lonnie? Hi. Yeah. Oh, hi, Lonnie. I was thinking about um, what you were saying earlier about sati and um, and the different, like through sports or through um, the arts and, uh-huh. and, and that that kind of presence. Yes. And noticing how in movement, like I ski, and when I'm skiing, it's just like this pristine presence. It's uh-huh. so yeah. nice. And and just uh, how much harder it is for me to cultivate that in a, in a still practice. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I guess in even the awareness of the awareness uh-huh. doesn't feel like right like that. Right. It's it it is often more difficult to do uh that presence in a non-doing situation. Mm-hmm. And skiing is a very doing situation beautiful way to practice, right? Cuz you just become one with that experience. Yeah. And so What's being asked of all of us in meditation practice is to become one with a very simple non-experience. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm saying it in paradoxical ways because paradox is part of practice. And so becoming one with the simplicity of just being, that's not what we're, how we're trained. But you already know something about it and you can start to apply the skills that you know from skiing into dharma practice, into meditation practice. Like when you when you're skiing, that's all you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think it makes it a lot easier that if if that's not all you're doing, there's serious danger. Well, and you may discover that's true about every moment of life too. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, meaning, it's not dangerous, and you're going to run into a tree, but. Um, I tend to say this in every time I teach, but whether we know it or not, we're all going to die, right? (laughs) I can assure you of that. Not necessarily from a ski accident, but just that happens. And so then we start to see the preciousness of life and how, like even this moment, is totally magical because it doesn't stay forever, right? Things change. And again, the Buddha pointed at this, so I'll make this very Buddhist. Buddha pointed at this over and over again about the impermanence of everything. And that the impermanence, the the understanding of impermanence is considered one of the key doorways to waking up. Because it changes our relationship to reality. We don't reify reality. We don't think it's solid. It's going to stay forever. This is how it is. I'm going to be like this, even though we all think these things and act this way. But sooner or later, reality starts to teach us and challenge us because shit happens. And that's just part of the deal. And it's not a horrible part of the deal. It can be quite tragic or difficult or hurtful at times, but also even when it's not, it's just the way it is, right? And so then the appreciation or giving oneself to this moment in the way you give yourself to skiing starts to become a little more important or valuable. And 
And the fact that you know how to give yourself to skiing means you already have that capacity. And it's just learning how to uh, navigate, or that's not the word I want, to harmonize maybe, but I, I don't have the right word, navigate, harmonize that capacity with a much a more simple and subtle dimension of reality, which is being. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Great. Um, let's see, where are we? Let me just see what my timeline is. Okay, is that okay for now for questions? And we'll continue a little bit. Um, Oh, here I should have said this before. I tend not to take breaks, meaning if you have to go to the bathroom, just get up and go, and it's fine. Or if you need to stretch, get up and move to the back and stretch a little. That's, you know, I I would rather you're more comfortable here than you're more, you know, rigid about anything here, okay? So... And um, here's what I'd like to talk about now, which was coming up in the, in the exercise, which is one of the components of our experience that we want to be aware of. Um, so then I'm, I'm trying to see, should I take a break for a minute? <laughs> no, I'm really, because a lot of people are getting up all at once, which makes sense, and... Um, Okay, five-minute break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Elliot. Hi, Elliot. I'm enjoying this, but thank you very much. Just uh, off.
So one of the areas of practice that uh, I believe is very helpful to start to investigate <clears throat> is one of the three components that I've mentioned already, and actually they're all very helpful to investigate, body, heart, and mind. Uh, but one of the areas that I believe is is less familiar to most of us as a as one of the components of what we're aware of, or what we're mindful of, is in the word mindfulness, meaning the mind. Like if I ask you to be aware of your mind, what are you aware of? Anybody want to say? Thinking, thoughts, pardon? Thinking or thoughts, that's it. Your mind has thinking. Opinions. Opinions, those are kinds of thoughts. Okay, good. Attitudes, Attitudes. kinds of thoughts, all good. The brain, that's great if you can feel your brain. Most people don't actually feel it. Uh, location, that's good, that's good, because it is, these days, most people associate their mind up here. That's not always the case, and there's a difference east and west also. Originally, um, especially in the east, but also in the west, the mind was located here, in the torso. And with the so-called idea of evolution, it has evoluted up and so now we have a differentiation between heart and mind that didn't exist in the East, that the same word is used for heart and mind in Buddhism, citta is the word, and, it, it, and it's translated either as heart or as mind. And, it's, and, there, and when the Buddha talks about citta, he's talking about the awakening of citta, of the heart and mind and the freedom of that. And so and so our mind in a familiar way mostly is related to thoughts, ideas, beliefs, attitudes, um, um, and its capacities, and the capacities of, I'll use the word consciousness, or the mind, to um, think, to uh, analyze, to assess, to be pragmatic, or to plan, or memories, or all kinds of things. Or you can also, you know, whatever else you might have to add to a list of what does the mind do, do right? What, is you, what does your mind do? Anybody? It edits what I see. It edits what you see. So it edits things? Creates reality? Creates reality? It can. Might that might be wants. pardon? Wants. wants your mind wants, yeah. It, it envisions and hopes and has these ideas about the future. Envisions, hopes, ideas. Predicts and looks for danger. It's one of the things the mind can do. Tries to figure out. Tries to figure out. Yeah. It reflects what's going on in the other part of the mind, which maybe you can't see as clearly. 
Ah, that's nice. Reflects what's going on in the other part of the mind, which we might not be able to see so clearly. Meaning reflects what we call the unconscious, right? That the conscious part of the mind reflects or is sometimes um, uh, impressed by or influenced by or manifesting some form of the unconscious part of the mind. Yeah, so that's all very common. What what do you make of the fact that the Buddha, or that in our translation, we have mindfulness? What does that mean? Mindfulness. And of course, I'm, I'm accenting it a certain way. We could also have mindfulness, but I like mindfulness because it's there in the word. What is that? I can't see. Where's the hand? Oh, sorry. Expanding your awareness. Please. For me, it's everything and nothing. Everything and nothing. Mindfulness is everything and nothing. So also, again, the, the paradox of the Dharma, which is... Um, I'll, I'll say it in my language, so the fullness and emptiness of reality, right? Or the isness and the ordinariness of reality right together. Huh? Please. When you accept the full, it seems to me it's this willingness to have it all be here. Like, no choice. It's just like this fullness that everything is present. So the, when I accent the fullness, the... the the uh, uh, allowing everything to be present. Do you think awareness exists in the mind or just awareness is viewing what's going on in the mind? So here's a really good question for all of you. Uh, (laughs) Is awareness existing in the mind or is awareness what's viewing what's in the mind? Now, that's a really good question for all of us because we can all just uh, explore for ourselves, right? Because we're all aware, right? Anybody here not aware right now? (laughs) Anybody in control of their awareness right now? Are you in control of it? That's why you raised your hand? How do you control? Well, stop being aware. Pardon? I didn't hear. That's harder. Because you're not in control of your awareness if you can't stop being aware. (laughs) You're not prepared. Well, you come back when you can stop being aware (laughs) and, and tell me. Because I haven't seen anybody who can do that. It may be a while. Well, okay, I'll be here about, uh, you know, 250 years or so. So whatever it takes. But, it, but it's an interesting question because we often think we do control our awareness. And then nobody, I haven't met anybody yet who could not be aware. Right? Please. The, the feeling of not being in control of our awareness brings a lot of self-compassion. Lovely, really, because that's a very key component to Dharma practice 
is awareness and kindness. And, they, and it's really hard to keep going forward in deeper practice without kindness to ourselves. And then, of course, to everybody. How does attention relate to awareness? Really good question. What's your answer? Well, as far as how, how you're defining awareness, like if you're shifting your attention and you're focusing or concentration, as we were talking about before, um, and your, your awareness is still kind of happening around, but you're oh. shifting that attention. You're shifting so the attention. You might be aware more of this where you're having control. So you're being aware of more specifics but you're controlling the specifics of what you're aware of without <laughs> negating everything else. The awareness is still happening in a very full way. But is that still control on some level? Okay. Well, some, some level of control, but... It's not negating it. Right. You still have some sort of say in the matter. Yeah, you have some, 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 start, some sort of say in the matter is what Wendy is saying, but... You know, and so it, it's one reason why intention becomes an important part of practice also. And that's in the Eightfold Path, right, right intention. And, and, okay, I'm going to keep moving now because there's some other things to say. So, um, um, so the mind is an interesting component of our experience as human beings. I mean, really, in some sense, one of the most fascinating experiences. And, of course, I'm giving a slightly Western interpretation when I say body, heart, and mind, because really heart and mind are one thing in Buddhism. They're, they're together. And so the heart-mind, or the mind, is something... If I tell you now, be aware of your mind, what are you being aware of? If I make that, if I give that guidance, and that's a very common dharma practice, is so be aware of the mind. What are you aware of? Thoughts, we, we got that, and we got all the different kinds of thoughts and flavors of thoughts. Is there anything else there? Time. Time? What's Time. <laughs> exactly is what she said. So okay, I'll 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 leave it at that. So we're aware of time. So that pardon? Equality? Equality of mind. And okay. Yeah, equality of mind. That's a nice way to think one of the things we can be aware of when we're aware of the mind is being aware of a quality of mind. Give me an example of a quality of mind. Bright could be a bright mind, could be a dull mind. Yeah, yeah, totally great. Could be aware of bright mind, dull mind, interested mind, uninterested mind. Information from your senses. Information from our senses, that it's one of the ways we conceptualize how we get information from our senses is through our mind. Okay. Where your attention is at any 
where your attention is at any one moment is where your mind is. Okay? Okay? Please. Being aware of awareness. Um, what what do you mean? What's the mind part of that? I mean, if aware, if. Oh, okay, got it. I, like, if you're aware of your sensations and you're aware of like everything that's going through, then you're just being aware of the presence. Just, <coughs> say say that. I, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Like, you're being aware of everything that's going around around you. You're being aware of the presence, and then it's just you're being aware of the awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. So here's, here's, here's a piece I want to add to what you're just pointing at about the aware of awareness. Um, is mind is also used in different ways conventionally and in Buddhism, right? Because conventionally, I mean, we've all said many of the conventional ways we understand the mind, right? It's thinking mind or attitudes of mind and things like that or... And then there's also a bigger sense of mind that's sometimes pointed at that is um, talked about in Buddhism. It's actually, in Buddhism, especially in Zen, they talk about small mind and big mind, right? And small mind is pointing at the individual sense of self-mind, the conventional idea of mind. Big mind is pointing at something that's not bound by that simple convention that we have that, oh, this is my mind. The identification with the mind. The mind then becomes the similar to the space of awareness. It's, or, or, the, the mind that knows the truth. Dharma is often translated as truth. The, the mind that knows the way things are. That level of mind that's not just, oh, me and my idea and my belief, but it's a, different, it's a more uh, syntonic understanding of or syntonic or direct experience of reality and the knowing of reality. Okay, so that's just just some things, you know, mind um, is used in Buddhism, right? Like mindfulness is very skillful, is a very skillful capacity and way to practice. Um, I was just on a retreat um, and the, the style of the retreat, I was sitting a retreat for myself, and the style of the retreat was the style of a teacher I sat with, uh, Saira Utejaniya. How many people are here have sat with Utejaniya? One, okay. And uh, Utejaniya is all about awareness and mind. Like that's his main teaching. Actually, his teaching is very broad, but I'm... I'm compartmentalizing it a little for here, meaning he teaches people, first of all, just to be aware. Like even now, be, be aware, be aware of whatever's happening and be aware of your mind and whatever is happening in your mind. Because most of us, and I'm speaking for myself also, 
are so identified with our minds, like that's reality. What we think, our attitudes, our feeling of mind, the, the way we conceptualize reality, the way we make sense of everything, that's who I am. That's what's giving me information, telling me what to do every day. That's what's saying, oh yeah, you have too many goddamn email this morning. And, you know, it's, it's my mind. You know, I could say heart and mind, but it's same, same deal. And so one of the things that I found very helpful to be aware of is my mind and not just believing my mind. How many people believe their minds here? Just, just oh, four, ten, <laughs> right? Don't, don't we all just <laughs> back and forth? Okay, but we do. We believe, and I could say heart, mind. We believe all of that, but the awareness is not bound to that. That is an interesting piece. Me, and I'll say this, this is what I think is one of Eugene's best teachings. Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. We get bound to things, that's for sure. And that's part of, we want to be very, not judgmental or, you know, critical even of that. We want to see that. Because the seeing of the being bound or attached or tethered to things is the beginning, as somebody was saying, of it starting to let go, starting to release. And even the letting go then we start to see is not something we do or have to do. It's something that happens as the Dharma wakes up right where we are in who, who and what we are. And so it's very, um, I thought I had one other thing I wanted to read. Right, this is again from Stephen Batchelor. To meditate is not to empty the mind and gape at things in a trance-like stupor. (laughs) To meditate is not to empty the mind and gape at things in a trance-like stupor. Nothing significant will ever be revealed in that way. To meditate is to probe with intense sensitivity each glimmer of color, each cadence of sound, each touch of another's hand, each fumbling word that tries to utter what cannot be said. To meditate is to probe with intense sensitivity each glimmer of color, each cadence of sound, each touch of another's hand, each fumbling word that tries to utter what cannot be said. To meditate is not just to empty the mind, But part of what we want to do is be aware of the mind because it's so much our reality that we end up bound to it. We're tethered to it. We think that's the whole show. And it's a really great part of the show, really, and good. I don't don't actually feel judgmental or bad about 
having a mind at all. It does a lot of great things. But it's really so surprisingly freeing to start to be aware of the mind rather than just bound to the mind. Because my mind is a pain in the butt, totally. Really, it's like, tell me all kinds of things that aren't necessarily true, right? It has a lot of ideas. Some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. But the awareness is not bound. And we can start to be aware of the mind itself. And it's a hard area of human life for us to be mindful of. Um, it's a lot easier, and, we, and it's one reason why it's good to start with being mindful of the body. It's usually easier to be aware we can feel, oh yeah, the body, it's here. I feel it, and then things happen, and we know things. Or, or even emotions are more distinct often than what we call the mind. We, we don't often, you know, what you, one might do if you want to build that muscle a little is, oh, whenever you sit down, just be mindful of your mind. Don't do anything else. See what happens if you're mindful of your thoughts. Notice how often you don't have any thoughts. Right? How many people are not having any thoughts today? <laughs> right? I mean, they just happen like, like that. And what's great about seeing them happen like that is we start to see we're not actually doing them. They're doing themselves. Even though we usually think we're doing it. I mean, really, the few times I actually think it's really good, but mostly it's just my mind going like this. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's doing its thing. So um, so let's do a little inquiry about the mind. Let's see what we discover. Okay? I can see you're all really excited about this. <laughs> so here we're going to do this a little differently than we did. It. We're going to do it in groups of three. And let me just see what... Yeah, we'll do it in groups of three. And... Um, uh, We'll get in groups of three, and there are three questions, and you could answer any part of any of them. In other words, it's an open question. How do you understand the mind or your mind? Either way, how do you understand the mind? How do you relate to your mind? How is it to be mindful of your mind? And, and if you say a little bit about each one of those, that would be really skillful. How do you understand your mind or the mind? How do you relate to the mind, your mind? How are you mindful of the mind? What's it like to be mindful of the mind? Okay? Is that clear, the, the investigation? So we're investigating a component of reality, of ourselves, and a component that's part of the Dharma practice and seeing what we know and what we don't know, what, and what we might learn. And this is where it's very helpful, again, stay 
in with your body a little bit. Because you, you hear, when you, when you, one of the skills of doing investigation, like Stephen Batchelor was saying, right, to meditate is to probe with intense sensitivity, with each glimmering of color, cadence of sound, touch of hand, fumbling word, is to also to be aware, not just the content, but what's happening as you investigate the content. Right? Like I might be start talking about the mind and then I feel like, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And then I take a breath and, oh, I feel, well, I still feel here even though I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. And then I realize, oh, when I think about it this way, oh, my mind is kind of blank. And then I feel more here and I'm curious about the blankness of what I'm calling mind right now. And I feel like I'm being aware of that. I'm being mindful of it. But I don't know what it is I'm being aware, mindful of, except that there's this kind of blank component. So, so I'm just giving an example of what could happen. You want to stay with whatever might be happening because it could also be mind, wow, I hate this goddamn, this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, and I'm angry and I'm feeling the anger. Yeah, and I don't care about the question. And wow, what the hell, how much longer do I have to go? And yeah, and I'm aware of wanting it to be over. Yeah, and who cares about this awareness anymore anyway, right? Because that might happen, and you can be aware of all of that as part of the investigation, not as a mistake. Because reality is what we're investigating, whatever the topic is. We want to include the totality of body, heart, and mind as part of the investigation. Is that clear? And can you repeat the question? Can I repeat? I will. Um, could you, how do you understand your mind? I'm not quite sure. How do you understand mind? How do you understand what the mind is? You could say that. But what, it's what the mind, how do you understand what the mind is and does? Is that yeah, yeah. How do you understand what the mind is and the does? That's fine. Yeah, that's close enough. So the three questions I'm positing. How do you understand the mind, what it, what it is? How do you relate to your mind? And how is it or what's it like to be mindful of your mind? Okay. And then see what comes. See where the it takes you, please. Um, is emotion part of the mind? Yeah, emotion's part of the mind in Buddhism, so you can include that. Sure. I just was wondering when you said just now to also be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Is it sort of a dual, should I have dual awareness? And you can speak to that? Like right now I'm just noticing yeah. my hands are doing this, even though I'm trying really hard to think about or more focus on the well, well, focus on the question, but if something, see, it's not just you're being aware of anything like my hands are doing this. I'm aware of, oh, my hands gripped and I'm angry. Then it has a little more charge to it. So we're looking for where your, your, where your awareness is drawn while you're doing the investigation. Okay, one more. 
experiencing something as a paradox, and I'm trying to understand if I'm experiencing it as a paradox because it's a paradox, <coughs> I'm not understanding it adequately. When I, I just when I was thinking about originally, I was thinking about how a lot of this is to be aware that I am not entirely defined by one aspect mm -hmm. of my experience. That there is something that I am more, and that there's that sense of awareness. Okay. But then, when I was thinking about the example that was given of seeing, or when I've experienced kind of mm -hmm. this uh, alignment, mm -hmm. flow, right. those feel to me like moments when I feel like I'm one uh -huh. with that experience, and that I, I, I seem to have the least feeling of an awareness. Uh -huh. of and I'm experiencing that as a, as a paradox when uh -huh. I'm trying to think of... So, so you're, you're describing the paradox of samadhi and awareness. And they're both extremely important in Buddhism. Sometimes one can have more the experience of samadhi, sometimes more of awareness. But it, usually in the skiing, there's both. There's the samadhi or the unification, and there's the awareness it's there. But you're not just aware of everything. You're aware of exactly what's happening now. And that's one of the skillful means in Dharma practice in general. Does that answer your question? That, that's, that's helpful. Okay, good. And, and so, yeah. So let's, let's do the, partly for time's sake, let's do some uh, inquiry. Groups of three, groups of three, Work with somebody different who you haven't didn't work with last time, um, and yeah, and go from there. And I'll say the questions again, and then you'll be doing your. And then I'll do the timing again, and get in your group of three, and spread out a little bit, and then be quiet. And when you find a third, please sit down or raise your hand if you need a third. Raise your hand if you need a third. If you, do, if you don't have a group, how many people don't have a group? There's one, two here. One, two, three. There you go. Okay, everybody set? Okay, take a moment. Um, how about if we start with the person with the longest hair this time? Okay, so please begin. Wait, I'm going to say one more thing. And for the people listening, your practice is to practice being present with yourself and the other person. So, so you're staying very present. 
you're not trying to help the person or you don't have to make, let them know they're saying is right. You want to let them do their inquiry and be aware of what happens for them as they do the inquiry. And you're, there, you're, you're a representative of the mindfulness of presence is what your role is as the listener. Okay. Are we waiting for the bell to change? Yeah, you wait for the bell to change. So it's good, good, good to take a moment and pause as you finish. And the one thing you might add in, in your inquiry, as you're inquiring, is how the inquiry is impacting you as you do it. Okay, okay, and the next person, please, thanks. And the last person can go. Please finish your inquiry.
So, how was that? What you discover, learn, or not? Here in front. Oh, sorry. It seemed like an exercise in futility for me. (laughs) (laughs) What was futile about it? Um, uh, uh, Frustrating and... uh, like using the mind to talk about the mind, talk about the mind, talk about the mind. It was just, just felt really wordy. Uh-huh. And okay. Um, uh, Were there any? This microphone is really intense. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, um, and what's your name? Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I just talking about. Especially, it sounded very long. Like I was like, okay, I can do this for a little bit, and then it was like. Then I wanted to go into the awareness exercise instead and just start doing that. But uh-huh. I wasn't sure we were supposed to do that. But so well, you just were... kept repeating and like going, yeah, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's confusing and it's complicated. And what is the mind? Like a, just like phil- philosophizing uh-huh. about the mind. Right. And then, um, yeah. Okay. No, so, that's, yeah. that's a valid, yeah. valid inquiry. Okay. Um, uh, I could say some more things about inquiry also, which is you don't have to rush through it to get to anywhere. Right. And and also your experience then becomes part of what we're investigating about the mind. Mm-hmm. And and so, and, and uh, yeah, so, okay, we're okay. looking at the mind. Maybe there's not much to say about the mind. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, they're quite, you know, mm-hmm. that could be, paradoxically part of what we uncover in the investigation that maybe we keep that's all I'll I'll say that does that make sense yeah it does I mean I think also having two people it felt a little more like a performance for me and I was a little more like uh, less intimate Uh I was noticed I would move my head from person to person to see if they were listening or how they were listening Uh and then I just got off on a, like a mental rampage. Great, you saw you saw you saw what your mind did with the uh, structure of the inquiry mm-hmm. and the socialness of the inquiry. Meaning there were two people mm-hmm. there, and you you started thinking about were they listening or not, and then you had some kind of rampage yes. with that. Yes, and that's great. Okay. Because, well, well, that's why is that great, Eugene? I don't think it's great. No, <laughs> meaning, meaning, then you're seeing how the mind works mm-hmm. with something that's happening. That's just you're just sitting and talking, and two people mm-hmm. are listening, and a lot of other things start to happen that we can, if we're not aware of, then we just believe them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I can see having an awareness after the exercise, like a meditation, a private one on it, maybe. But during it, it was right. But so, and and of course, part of the investigation is to be very aware mm-hmm. and present of what's happening while, while we're investigating. It's okay. And it's and it's a skill 
to be developed. It's not just you sit down and to learn the piano and you play Bach. First time you might clomp around a little, mm-hmm. but the clomping is part of what happens. I guess I have one more comment, sure. which yeah. is, is it, my concern is that it's dangerous for my mind to, to do it, to spend too much time there. Okay. I'm going to so, get confused and get tripped up and get, it's going to be not a good place to go. That, that's the fear speaking now, and you're aware of the fear mm-hmm. that your mind could get tripped up and not be clear, and that would be a bad, dangerous place mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Why? It would make me emotional and confused and tortured and uh-huh, it could it could but but it it's does. also it's also it's also you're predicting reality mm-hmm. okay. and you're being aware of that because you don't have to be bound to what you're aware of okay Does that make sense yes. Okay, because believe me, uh, you know, I watch my, my mind does everything or tells me anything or everything, even about like being here. Oh, you're not doing it good enough. You should do it. I should have talked about this and this and this. And there couldn't be more things that I could have done, you know, a better way to teach and all. But who knows? My, (laughs) My mind doesn't really know. It just thinks it knows. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Sure. What else? Back there, yeah. You're, you're, you're getting mic from both sides, so keep your eyes open. So um, what I noticed immediately was I'm much more secure in my body than anything to do with my mind. Uh-huh. And... As I was blathering on and on and on, and I heard myself, so one of the I, first well, things. Well, well, well. Everybody has to. Be, everybody has to be a little bit aware of the judging mind, because the blathering on and on and on, because that makes it very hard to practice interactively. But okay, go ahead. So, it was okay blathering. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but I. When I started talking, I said, coming today is very interesting because I don't consider myself a very inquisitive person. Mm-hmm. So this is all about inquiry. Uh-huh. However, as I was talking, I heard myself asking all kinds of questions and having all kinds yeah. of questions, yeah. which was very interesting. Great. And I have a concern, a deep concern about being the age I am, and I know I have a physical body, and we all know we're going to die, and so I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I don't know right. w- what's going to go. Yeah. And so that's a deep concern, and that brings up the mind, and um, I'd like to have more understanding about what it is. About what? What is the mind? The mind. I don't have a. I, I, I'll give you a different answer. I can give you different answers of what different people say, you know. And and it's things that we all know. I mean, I was using the word consciousness earlier, 
as one of the components of the mind, but often the mind is associated with the cognitive uh, capacities of mind, right? Thinking and analyzing and figuring out and planning and things like that. And then there's also the attitude or the the atmosphere of mind. Some people have a clear mind or some people have a bright mind or some people have a dull mind. And those are all part of how mind is understood. And then there's other levels of mind that are also, like I was saying, small mind, big mind. And then there's, you know, talked about here, I found something. Somebody, um, uh, an old friend of mine, I haven't seen in a long time, Locke Kelly, he says, he talks about everyday mind, a subtle mind, awake, aware mind, and then, and then even other levels all the way to heart mind. And there are different levels of realization that are possible with what we call the mind. And so there's not one particular way that describes the mind. But pay attention. You might be aware of the part of you that is, is curious about the mind because you had a lot of questions come up. Be aware of the curiosity itself, that where, where the questions come from, because that may tell you something about the mind that I'm not even saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. And because and you also brought up, you, you, you had other questions even about life and death, right? And the fact, what happens? Because who knows what's going to, any, can anybody here tell her what's going to happen when we die? Right? We, so not knowing becomes an important, because it's a component of reality. We know some things, and then there's so much we don't know. And there's more to learn. And that's part of Dharma practice, as far as I can tell. Something I love about Utejaniya. Utejaniya always talks about, though, there's more to learn, there's more to learn. We're all learning more. Let's see what we learn as we practice, as we live, as we die. Because we'll learn things we didn't even know we were going to learn. And I've had my own little life-death experiences, and you know, I'm not, I'm not recommending them, but, but when they happen, things happen that weren't what I thought was going to happen. Right? And so we'll check in in about 15 years together, 20 years, 30 years. We'll check in again. Okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Please. Wait, wait, wait. Just wait for the mic. I know, but you don't have to yell. Hi. And your name again? Amy. Yeah. Hi there. Just to piggyback on what she was saying, um, <clears throat> some folks in our group were pretty judgmental of their minds, myself included. And at the same time, so afraid, I'm so afraid of losing my mind. <laughs> I had two parents lose their minds. Yeah. And that is very, very frightening for yes. me. Yes. And I also know a 20 year old. Uh, boy right now in a coma. Uh-huh. I don't know what his mind is doing. I'm praying for him right now. Yeah. <clears throat> but 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 remember, we don't know what his mind is doing. No. Right? 
because I lost my mind totally. I mean, seriously, totally. I didn't know that. I did know you had an accident, and right. so... And I had a brain injury. Uh-huh. I lost my mind. Wow. And that was quite something, but it wasn't as bad as one would think. You know, it wasn't... I'm. Mean, it's paradoxical to talk about it because it's a horrible thing. It's a serious accident. I don't recommend it, but... It was also fine. So what do you make of that? What do I make of that? Reality is a lot wilder than we think it is. Right. Wilder and interesting and more more to learn than we could have imagined. And you got your mind back. And my mind came back, but yeah. very slowly. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you know, some basics came back pretty quickly, but but the maturity of mind that I had had took quite a while to come back. And it was wild to watch it come back because I didn't do it. It did. It all did itself. So what, do, what, do, what does one make of that? And who was aware that that was all happening? That gets even more interesting. Yeah, good. You got that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good. Sure. What else about the mind? Please. Back here. I partly came today because I'm really confused about inquiry. What's your name? Oh, my name is Marty. Marty. Hi, Marty. Hi. What are you because confused about? Because I, I, I can go down and kind of check in with myself. Uh-huh. But when I... I but I get confused with conceptualization. Mm-hmm. When I have to try to put something right. that maybe I know into words, right. it's very confusing and hard to do and right. it just about brought me to the point of tears. I just felt yeah. the words were not making sense right. to me. <laughs> okay, and that then that can happen for some of us. And so watch out for the judging mind about that and keep seeing how simply you could say what you're trying to say rather than more complicated in a more complicated way, like make it way like first grade. Like, and then if you want to add a second grade, add that in too. <laughs> and, and then if that seems okay, then you could add third. But, but really what I'm saying is see how you can say what's real for you on whatever level is, is true and trust that rather than you have to be some way. Because that's not the domain. For some people, really, maybe the inquiry needs to happen. Uh, uh, You dance it, or you paint it, or you write it, or you sing it, or you something like that. There may be other forms of expression that are more appropriate for different people. But the basic, easiest one to use together is language. And, and trying to speak it. 
and and then trust and then instead of judging the feeling of inability staying very present and aware of oneself even if one can't do it it's okay we're 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 not we're human beings not human doings right yeah okay and yeah. so play with it that's why i love to use the word play in practice so we don't get too serious about it where we're tense and tight and again i'll, I'll refer to utejaniya who's his first thing about meditation is relax right right relax yeah. why not <laughs> oh, why not what are we doing we're, we're just going to live and die anyways let's relax and then see what we discover as we get present with this experience it's sitting right here magically sitting right here in my language right yeah yeah thank you sure thank you please Uh, when, remind me of your name. I oh, my name is Shia. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, you know, when you pose the question of thinking about the mind and whether you think about your mind, uh-huh. I it threw me for a big loop uh-huh. uh, because Good. I don't even know what my mind is. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so I could think about all the things that my mind does, like reacts to this has opinions about that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, analyzes this, plans that. But, uh, you know, but uh, somewhere you're bringing out the concept of, well, there's a mind that does all that. Mm-hmm. And what is it? And it's uh, it's left me with a, a question, you know, because I can see all those events going on, but I don't know, have a clue about where they're all happening. <laughs> Okay. How how is that to not have a clue? Yeah. So you got. So hope. I just went on and on about all the uh-huh. all the things that my mind does and what it. Right. You know, I can describe to some degree what it does, but I can't. I don't. It seems like a. I don't know if it makes any sense that I can't put my hands around no, what totally, it is. Totally, totally makes sense <laughs> to me. And what I'm suggesting then is the inquiry becomes of learning how to rest or relax in that not knowing. That's part of your inquiry. Rather than the inquiry is we get the right answer. And so it's part of the paradox of of inquiry in that we don't know what's going to come forward and not knowing, right, which I believe I already said, highly valued in, spir- in many spiritual traditions, is what came forward. So that's not a bad thing. And it may, it may educate us or inform us in ways we don't expect because we don't know what the hell is going on. Right. Okay? Thank you. Here. Right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't know you were already raising your hand. I didn't see. Sorry. Go ahead. My name is David. Hey, David. Um, in speaking to my under, my relationship 
with my mind. I uh -huh. started by saying that I, I both trust it and I don't trust it. And the t I was describing the times where I trust it, and I was saying... So it's, so it's like a real relationship, huh? <laughs> sorry, sorry. And Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, the, the times I was... As I was describing the times where I trust it, um, there was sort of a... Uh, I'm believing the, my mind's interpretation of the experience that I'm having, mm -hmm. and there's sort of a righteous quality to being right. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was sort of talking about when I trust it. And then when I don't trust it, uh, there was some quality of, of um, I don't, I, I feel sort of a, a looseness of footing in the experience that I'm having. And I uh, don't, what kind of loose? looseness of, of footing, like I'm not grounded in the experience that yeah. I'm having. And I uh -huh. don't actually right. trust the experience. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I realized that those are actually both cases where I'm not trusting my mind. Like in in sitting with it, I was actually like, wow, neither like I don't I don't trust the the place where my mind thinks it's totally right uh -huh. and the and the place where uh -huh. it does want to undermine the experience that I'm having and claim that it's not valid for right. a myriad Got it. of reasons. Yeah. So I was kind of left with just not trusting my mind. Right. So, And okay. the awareness that that not trusting shows up in a lot of relationships in my life. Very good. Very good to see that, to see how there's a habit of mind that we could call not trusting. And that to to be bound to that may be a certain kind of dukkha, right? But to just jump over it isn't, you can't, that doesn't quite work either. And so we want to be aware of the not trusting in a more, uh, in a fuller way. We want to be mindful of the not trusting of mind or relationships or that habit of not trusting rather than just believing it because it could you know the other question that came forward for me as you were talking was because uh, you were saying well you first you were aware of your mind and when it like something and you get righteous about it and then you're aware of your mind and when you don't believe it it's like you lose your ground you also then in the inquiry, inquiry and in the practice, you want to be aware of, oh, who and what is the you that is aware of the positive and the negative mind that we're exploring. Because that's something also we take for granted. I'm not trusting here. I'm not, tr what's the you? How do you experience the you? That makes sense what I'm pointing at? Yeah. Okay. And also part of practice, and of course I could broaden it and just want to make it a little more Buddhist, meaning I want people who might not know the Buddhist teaching on self and not self is an important component of practice. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And then right here. Hi. Hi, I'm Rachel. Rachel. Um, I wasn't looking forward to the exercise at first. Um, I was worried about sounding smart. I think that's a big thing for me. Good, good to see that, be yeah. aware of that. Um, and then when I started actually speaking about the mind, I <coughs> stopped caring about what I was actually saying. I, I found a lot of delight in, in my curiosity. It was uh -huh. really fun. Uh -huh. um, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> and I noticed that when I was listening to my partners, I felt maybe the most present when I wasn't necessarily listening to what they're saying, but just watching uh -huh. them say whatever they are saying. Uh -huh. um, and it makes, makes a lot of sense to me. We like hearing that. We'll keep going. Um, I had, and I had no idea what the mind was to me. I mean, I had a lot of, I had a lot of ideas, but, um, I didn't really know. I felt like I was just enjoying exploring it mm -hmm. and I'm feeling it now to a lot of kind of blankness and I felt that during, uh -huh. um, and I was thinking about how it felt like the action of speaking was helping me be present, but it wasn't necessarily the words. It was maybe that I was doing something uh -huh. and, um, and thinking about exploring the mind in you brought up whether that's through language or art or whatever medium uh -huh. and I was looking at enjoying kind of like the silence in talking the sounds between words yeah. Uh -huh. yeah 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 is that okay to enjoy that Silence yeah. in talking. Yeah. yeah. I notice, like, my, my cheeks feel hot now, and I notice that there's... Uh-huh. Um, it feels vulnerable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can, yeah? Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. So you became, in, in my words, maybe you can say if I'm wrong, you became a little more self-aware a moment ago, and... and, uh, and which is normal and part mm -hmm. of what happens, especially in a group like this and speaking and saying something um, that's not so usual, right? Like the silence in the speaking. Yeah. And that I hadn't planned out any of that, which feels scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so it's good. good, good to be aware of that. Partly if the reason why I say good, because to me it means, oh, you're not bound to it. And, and the, 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 the scariness can come, and you don't have to be bound to that either. It's just 
what the personality does at times, when the sense of self does, and, and we don't have to be bound to the sense of self either. It can just be here and function, and it's good to know which car is yours when you go home, and you know. But... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, we probably the last one for now. Uh, Yeah, my name is Herb. Hi, Herb. And uh, I was thinking about um, talking about how the mind gets bound to something. Gets bound? Yeah, Yeah. binds to something, or grasp onto it. Uh And that that can um, result in dukkha, or or form of suffering. Mm And I know my mind does that, and when that happens, it continues to sort of repeat itself. Yeah. And I was wondering if you had any, you know, suggestions on, you know, how to work with the mind to help it let go so it isn't so bound or, you know, to whatever it is. And and Well, there's a lot of different ways, depending on what's happening, because, and I'll say a few, and you'll see if any of them are helpful for you, but uh, the mind's not bound to anything. That's one of the illusions of mind, Mm -hmm. is that we're bound to something. And that's how the mind keeps itself going, is by being bound to things that it's not even bound to. It's a paradox of of the sense of self. Same same thing. We think, you know, this is mine, right? Well, as far as I've been able to see, I don't have anything. You know, I have, or some things relatively. I mean, I have, what do I have? I have a really nice hat that I like very much. <laughs> this is my hat, right? Mm-hmm. But... How long will that last? <laughs> it's lasted a while. I got this in Amsterdam about God, at least six years ago or longer. And I sometimes I think, oh, if I get to go back to Amsterdam, I could go get another hat. Because <laughs> this is not going to last forever, this hat that's mine. Mm-hmm. Right? But, so, so, and all I'm saying is you're... Watching the mind is one of the things, one of the skillful means that starts to give you the capacity to not be bound to the fact that the mind thinks it's bound to something. Because you can start to be aware of the mind and the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. But it's hard just to stop the mind from doing its thing, although what can happen is over time it relaxes. And so time and space becomes components of practice in that way. Because I'm sure I could ask you about something you were bound to you know, when you were 31. And are you still bound to that? Or is it changed or gone? Or something even your mind was bound to when you were 31. You remember that? 
Yeah, I can hardly remember that at all. (laughs) (laughs) That also points us to something about reality, is it's very real in the moment, but it's not solid, or it's not, yeah, it's not solid. It's, It's like everything. It's all appearing and disappearing. And so it's hard to get bound to anything that's, appearing and disappearing. Now, let me be respectful here. We all get bound to shit all the time. We all get attached to stuff all the time. The more we can be aware, the more we have the uh, potential of letting the freedom of awareness start to saturate us a little more. And, And so that because reality is totally unbound, as far as I can tell. It's just all happening on its own. And I mean every, all the levels of reality that are possible to know. So anyhow, that's just some of my thoughts, but I hope... Yeah, that was helpful. Okay, good. I'm glad when I'm a little helpful. So let's let's stop right now just because of time. And also I made a mistake. Somehow I thought we were going to 4.30. We're only going to 4. I was informed. So let's take, um, uh, where are we? We're, let's come back. Let's go have lunch. Come back. Uh, uh, it's, what, it's 1.15? Is, is an hour enough time or should we do an hour and 15 minutes? An hour. Okay, we'll come back in an hour from lunch. 2.15. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.